Hi, everybody. I'm Joel. I wrote some notes on the board. What up? My point here today is to tell you a story. Um, I'm going to talk to you like I'm telling you a story. Um, I don't want to feel lecturous, uh, although I'm kind of here to teach. Um, I know some of you are going to feel a certain kind of way about this conversation because it's organ donation and end-of-life choices. Um, my story is a happy story, so I don't want you to feel as I'm telling you some of the challenges that I went through um, that it's, uh, oh, poor me, because the real point of this is that as you're going through things in life, there's always stuff around you um, to make you feel a little grounded. I want to start the conversation off by telling you that throughout this, I'm going to discuss places in it where they're just seemingly things happen by either what you would consider grace of God or by the universe just putting it out there. But the main point is, is that I don't believe there's accidents. I don't believe that there's coincidence. And I believe that everything happens on purpose. I don't believe that in 2003, when I found out I was going to be a dad, and I'm looking at this chick that I've been only dating for a couple weeks, and I'm like, and what am I going to do now? What? And I thought, okay, let me do the right thing. Let me step up. <laughs> She's my ex now, so you can imagine how that worked out. <laughs> She's a baby mama. So, but what happened was, what ha happened was, so I find out I'm going to be a dad, trying to work it out with my son's mom. Two months after that, my grandmother goes into Jackson Memorial Hospital for routine back surgery. There was a simple breakdown in communication. Somebody forgot to make a phone call, and it cost my grandmother her life. It was straight up a mistake. Courts won, like, yeah, for real. Whoops. Okay, I mentioned that not because, all right, we've all suffered loss. Okay, this is in Jackson Memorial Hospital. Three weeks after that, I find out, man, this little lump in my throat, practicing martial arts, and I can't flex my neck. Turns out the lump is thyroid cancer. Now, while that's happening, remember, I'm trying to work things out with my soon-to-be baby mama, and the cancer that I got made me hormonal. <laughs> now, I grew up in the hood in gangs, and I didn't really have a whole lot of structure. So now you got a guy trying to figure things out and then throwing a little bit of hormonal, and it's kind of funny. Because I'm walking around trying to figure it out, but I'm watching toilet paper commercials and crying. My boys are looking at me like, really? My man, <laughs> While I'm emotional and trying to figure all this out, she's getting bigger. And now we're starting to stress a little bit. Like, all right, yeah, two weeks, it was fun. Maybe we're not really supposed to, but we're gonna try it. Because now you got cancer, your grandmother just died. I'm also running a massage therapy school and trying to graduate college. And Justin, because my son's name is Justin. He's born early. And as early babies are, they're yellow. Okay, they're jaundice. Because inside the liver, I'm gonna to try to draw this. I was actually gonna be the guy to try to take it out of the dummy, but only dummies do that because it just falls apart. I know you probably got the hands. No, no, I'm gonna try with my drawing. So a couple things, so let me tell you. You can't make fun of my handwriting and you can't make fun of my artwork. This is supposed to be a liver. See now, I've got a little pressure. 
whatever. There we go. Sort of. Here we go. All right. All right. That's the best liver in like 15 years I've drawn. So this is your liver, and it sits here, which you guys should know by now, right? So when you're born early, your liver is filled with extra blood. Billy Rubin. Your body filters it out, or they tell you to take the baby into the sun, walk around, keep it by the window, and the body filters it out. So as I'm going through all the stuff that I'm dealing with and trying to manage it, we get to Justin's three-month checkup. You guys have all been through this particular test, um, and they probably, you probably still see it, where they tap on your stomach and do it. Okay. For most of my adult life and as a kid, I thought that was the dumbest thing ever. Even a little annoyed that they would like, seriously, with all the advances in technology, you're gonna tap on me? Don't touch it's me. Chest. It's an echo test, <laughs> right? This organ is so big and supposed to be so hollow that when they tap on it, it should thump. If it doesn't thump, then there's something wrong. Doctor's doing his thing, doing his thing, looks over at us, says, you gotta go to Jackson. You gotta go to where? Because Jackson just did, like, I got to do what? Okay. Now, one of the cool, I don't know if it's cool. So, one of the amazing things about the human body and the human experience is when you're going through something physically traumatic, emotionally traumatic, spiritually traumatic, whatever it is, if the word traumatic is in it, your body knows how to protect itself. And you get into this bubble of kind of surrealism where you're not really feeling stuff, but you're kind of going through the motions. And we get to Jackson, and <clears throat> what they tell us is Justin has a disease called biliary artresia. Okay. Another really cool thing about medicine is they have some really good names for stuff and some really dumb names for stuff. This name actually explains exactly what it is. The biliary tree, which is what we have, is what my scribbles are. It is a tree. It is meant to filter out excess bilirubin, biliary tree. Biliary artresia, when something's artresic in your body, it just means that it's hardening. It's a cool word though, artresia. So, that's right, <laughs> unless it's in you. So, Justin's tree, hardened up. He came out of the womb like he was an alcoholic. Now, his mom, baby mom and I like to party. So when pregnancy came around, you know I was on it. Impressively, she stopped all of it, drinking, smoking, she clean. Still, because you know you want to find a reason. Why is his liver hard? Why is his tree collapsed? Well, listen, we got to do a liver transplant. What? But first we do the liver transplant, we're going to try to fix it. So you guys also know what, the, what you can picture in your mind what the small intestines look like. 30 feet of hose, right? So it would make sense that if this tree had collapsed, all they gotta do is grab a couple hoses, hook it up, and let it filter. It's called a Kasai procedure. So by this point in my life, I had gone from a few gold teeth, hanging out with gangs, doing what I shouldn't be doing, to getting into college and turning my life around, okay? I had put that old Joel aside. But now I'm back in Jackson, and now I'm back in Miami, and I'm down in a place where it's starting to accentuate these feelings. I bring this guy up because he's going to pop out this story a couple times. 
So they're like, we're going to do this Kasai procedure. And okay, there's not really a whole lot you can do. It was my first initiation of fatherhood. I'm still trying to figure out my own feelings, and I'm starting to get angry. I don't do well with anger. So the doctor's like, we'll be back four or five hours. We'll do the procedure. And the goal is that they want to postpone this liver transplant as long as they can. Because they're going to put something that doesn't belong in him inside his body. And for the rest of his life, his body is going to attack it. Because the body's amazing. It's going to attack his liver just like it's a cold. Except it's not a cold. But the body's immune response is to protect itself. I'm sure you guys have heard of the word homeostasis. This thing, in my motivational speaking seminars, I talk about a spiritual homeostasis. It's about balance everywhere in your life. For this particular position, um, balance came tricky because he has no immune system as a baby. So they want him to develop an immune system as he gets older, because if he develops an immune system, he'll be able to fight infection better. That was 2003. Fast forward to today, if they can give a baby a transplant now, they do, because they can do gene and DNA testing, and your, your body doesn't actually initiate its true fight remembering response until you're about two. So they come out of the, out of the procedure like, sorry, it didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? Like, that's, that's not the response you get to give me. Because now, Joel's sitting in a room waiting. My family's sitting around. This chick I'm with is sitting around. She's probably looking at me like, yeah, this dude is sitting around. And he comes out with this didn't work. It didn't what? And I get puffy. Now, I was about, I'm um, maybe 225 now. I was closer to 300 pounds then, and I'm mad. And the doctors, I don't know if you guys have been around doctors, doctors don't like to deal with patients, and they don't like to deal with mad patients, and they don't like to deal with patients who are, have their parents here, because parents are the worst. Parents will straight up burn medical professionals out of their profession. And I was that guy. Why didn't it work? What are we going to do to fix my son? Now, mind you, I'm still surreal. I don't even have a true connection to my boy yet, other than that he's got to survive. And this isn't going to work? Okay, what do we do next? Well, we need a liver transplant, so let's do a liver transplant. Well, why not? We don't have any livers. <coughs> now it's starting to process. All right, fool, you're a gangster. Why don't you go get you a liver for your boy? You guys see the movie John Q? Yeah. It was out just at the time, and I literally thought, and I would do today anything that I could to save his life. And if it cost me my freedom, then it cost me my freedom. It doesn't even seem like a hard choice. And as a younger man, it almost seemed like a noble choice. <laughs> so, all that excitement, and they're like, you gotta go home. <laughs> Where do you go home? No, what? Well, we got to find an organ. What do you mean? Because in my head, I don't know anything about the industry, but I know that there's people dying. I know there's got to be organs. I told you I grew up in a neighborhood that we, we just didn't think about the future. So organ donation wasn't really something we ever talked about. 
So now I'm faced with it and I don't know anything about it. Why not? Just get, come on. <coughs> and then you start to look at these numbers. All the people dying every day, everybody waiting on an organ. 120,000 fill up these stadiums. Okay? So I told you it was a happy story. Let me skip to the real happy part. Okay? My son, 16 years old today, and my biggest challenge is legitimately the teenage stuff. That's it. He actually lives right around the corner. If we didn't homeschool him, and by the time he was ready to go to school, um, he's already at BC. I'm here to keep it real with you. Without organ donation, he's not here. I'll come back to that. So, the average wait today for an organ, 89 days for the liver. It's 89 days. And in 2003, Justin waited 91. Now, to give you an idea of what that wait was like, um, for me, it was interesting. I was going through surgery. I had radiation isolation. I couldn't be near my, I couldn't be near anyone. I couldn't be within 10 feet of another human being for more than 10 seconds without getting them sick because of the radiation I was eating. So right off the bat, I can't be a donor. And since I can't be a donor, eh, maybe use his mom, but they need a healthy parent. And with these conversations, I'm starting to get a little, what do you mean can't help? What do you mean she can't be a donor? What do you mean I can't help? Can't donate nothing? Nope. What do we do? What do we know? You wait, you wait, you wait, you wait. Remember, take him outside, get rid of the Billy Rubin. Imagine somebody puts a rock inside your gut, right? What are you gonna do? You're gonna arch out like this, and just the natural position of the body. I'd be walking Justin around the apartment complex, right over in Atlantic and um, in Banyan Bay and Atlantic and Lions, and Justin be stretched out. People call the police on me that I'm walking around with a dead baby. And when I tell you about what it's like to be, how your brain puts you in this surreal emotion where things don't really, like you just lose the true connection to things because a true connection to things is gonna open up all the stuff you're going through. Um, I didn't even remember that until about two years ago. It was buried. And the first time that it came up was actually in the middle of a talk like this and it shook me a little bit. Because I like to get emotional in my talk but not like emotional emotional and I was like, Because at that point in time, I hadn't had a lot of great experiences with the police. So when the police officer shows up and rolls up on me, and she's like, is that what's going on with the baby? I'm defensive. What? What's going on with my baby? What do you mean? And then I told her, and then, you know, you, you, same, you get a different face. You get a different human being then. Oh. Some people want to engage in that, is the baby okay? Some people are like, oh my God, I, I can't even. I'm thankful that I didn't, that my brain was in that place where it was protecting. Because that's a lot to deal with, for real. So, of course, as the liver gets harder, everything else starts to fill up. Eventually, the liver's gonna get so hard, right? You guys remember, you don't have to remember the names, but you know your heart has a huge vein and blood system that goes right into your liver. Hepatic portal ducts, 
and if things are clogged up here, blood flow is not going to go down. So it's going to back up and eventually give the kid a heart attack. But before that, if your body's not going to process fat, you don't want to eat. You guys have had indigestion before. Well, if this thing's broken, nothing else is going through it, things aren't going to be good. So he stopped eating. Which put us in the hospital with a feeding tube, watching him just deteriorate. And it was nothing we could do. Had fundraisers, tried to talk to people. It was 15 years ago. They weren't really keen on trying to find a partial liver from somebody and put it in another person. This is medicine at its best practice. And we're in the hospital about a month watching him deteriorate. And the problem is, is there's not enough organs, right? So there's a list. And you don't get high up on a list until you're really sick. But you can't tell me that right as soon as we know he needs a liver, that he's not really sick. So I didn't really understand a list. Why not? Well, it's just not enough. So you gotta qualify. And to qualify on that list, you gotta be the one who deserves it most. And if you're gonna be the one who deserves it most, well then you're gonna have to be close to death. And that's what we had to wait for. And it's a little baby. At the time, he was the second youngest baby ever. That means there's not a lot of doctors that really know what to expect here. And I'm inside of a hospital that whoops and killed my grandmother. And I'm on anyone who comes in the room. Still to this day, that comes out a little bit. My grandfather's in the hospital, one of my friends. I'm in there like, what? I told the people that were caring for us, um, the doctors and nurses, I was like, listen, I work for the Department of Health as a medical errors and prevention specialist. Y'all better get right. Uh, I had taught a couple classes on medical errors and prevention, so it gave me enough to talk, you know. Um, but most of them understood the chaos. August 7th rolls around. As I tell this story, I, I, I'll always, you guys ever reach out to me on social media or want me to come talk to you, your family, I'll always keep it real with you. <laughs> and this point in the story, um, it was August 7th, about 10 o'clock in the morning, we get the call. I think I picked up that phone. I can still kind of visualize remembering, but my ex also thinks she picked up the phone. <laughs> so either way, we get the call. And it's from the Life Alliance, actually what's formerly known as the Organ Procurement Agency, University of Miami's Life Alliance and Organ Procurement Agency, also known as LORA, LAORA, LAORA. No idea who they are, no idea about organ donation. Um, I'm trying to manage my life driving from Hollywood to Miami and the massage therapy school, the beauty school that I was running, it was in Coconut Creek. And I was going to Barry University. So I'm trying to drive around all these places and thinking I'm managing it. And we get the call and the doctor's like, all right, we're gonna take Justin. At this point, he's yellow, yellow, yellow. I always struggle with finding this yellow. He's yellow like this paper up here. Eyes, yellow. 
he's a white boy, so yellow. Doctors are like, surgery is going to be 17 hours. What? What do you? What do you mean? Okay. Well, what do we do? Go across the street to the Howard Johnson's, get a room, and get some sleep. Get a room. By this point, my baby mama and I, I don't know, we weren't in a relationship no more. And we're trying to figure out, I mean, usually if you don't like somebody, you just stop talking to them. Even if it's the baby mama, like you can just not talk to them until it's time to pick up baby time. But we got a sick kid and now we got to talk. And this guy wants us to go get a room together for 17 hours. Like, <laughs> and we're like, all right, we'll make it happen. Cause you do, right? Like, like it's for your kid and, and we're a little shell shocked. And <coughs> the problem is, is you got Jackson Memorial and right across the street in this Howard Johnson. Now this is 15 years ago, it's not so much now. Um, I mean, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been outside of Coral Springs or ever been near jail. <laughs> but usually these, the way it works is there's a courthouse, a hospital, and a prison. And in between that, you got the straight crazies of the crazy. That's what Howard Johnson was. I told you I grew up in the hood. So it's not an unusual atmosphere to be around crackheads, to be around, hear gunshots. Like it wasn't, it wasn't scary for me. It wasn't something I really wanted to be in, but it wasn't scary. But today, inside that room, all of a sudden you hear bang, 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 bang. Ah! Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Time to go. <laughs> it's a subway now, that hotel. So, all right, let's go back. Go in the waiting room. Get in the waiting room. <coughs> and you see how I'm pacing? You see, you see how I'm pacing? This is what I do when I'm excited and I'm emotional. Or when I'm pissed off and I'm really scared, I get in that, that sort of ultra-religious. Okay, and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And here's my first dose of purpose in this. Okay? Guy walks by, taps me on the shoulder, almost what seemed like a real disrespectful touch. You know how you can touch somebody disrespectful, like just sort of like I do this with my wife all the time. I'll walk by her and I'll be like, "What's up, babe?" Okay, haha, <laughs> funny. But in that mood, where I just came from that Howard Johnson's, and I'm looking at my baby mama, and she's giving me those, <sighs> and they're just they're winding me up, and I'm doing my religious waddle. And this guy comes by with that. It's just a liver. Oh my God. All right, <laughs> let's take a break. Remember how I told you I keep it real. The more I tell this story, the bigger this dude gets. Okay? <laughs> but something happened. And I went from freaking out dad to the whole hood's coming out of Joel to what? In like a second. Now I swear he was big. Maybe not, don't know. <laughs> Point is, is that he was there from Dallas getting three organs transplanted with his daughter. What that means is he doesn't get to leave. 
You guys want to see some grounding and some humbleness from me? Go to the pediatric hospital, any of them, and walk by a couple of rooms where there's no parents, where they can't stay or they can't go, or see the ones with the parents. Their babies are in little cribs that look like small jails, and parents can't leave. We couldn't leave. You eat what they say, you do what they say, you sleep when they say, you go when they say. There's people going crazy at night, attacking nurses. It's Jackson. I'm ready to click on doctors. I had a doctor one night tell me, oh, don't worry what I'm giving him. Ooh, uh -oh. Oh, that's what, exactly what I said, oh no. In <coughs> yeah. PICU, they have what's called a code black, and that security needs to come up quick. I had to stop that, because that's not helpful. That Joel isn't helpful, but you're not gonna tell me, don't worry. You could have told me anything else. You could have said, I'm giving you, sir, I'm gonna give your son rat poison right now. It'll be okay. I would have been better off than don't worry. Right. So, <clears throat> Justin comes down the hall. Now, I told you that I told them I kind of work for some people. So that means they gave me one of the outfits to wear in the operating room, the white coat. So I caught the doctors and Justin as they're wheeling him out of surgery. And now the transplant team's looking at me like, and I'm walking like, I, like I've been here before. <laughs> and what I remember most is that he went in as colorful as that yellow and came out as white as that board. And this is when the doctors really got to see me because then I was like, my white boy! <laughs> it was amazing. And this is, this is part of what's really amazing about medicine, right? Is that they, he went in with a broken piece, came out with one fixed, and things were working okay. Problem was, the piece of the liver they took was from a 10-year-old boy who drowned in Tampa. Remember how... Miss not too tall back there said she can't get a real big piece of liver. Well, they took the only one they could give Justin and put him in, put it in him. And they couldn't close him up. Mm -hmm. So they have this green mesh that they put over. Okay, six weeks in PICU. PICU is pediatric intensive care. <clears throat> and now, psychologically, I'm done in. Because... <laughs> Nobody talks about the medicine part. Nobody talks about the after part. It was, here's your liver, your... I thought, all right, we're on our way home. So, I told you Justin's doing great. He's 16 years old today. He's on the same medicine that he was when he first got this liver. So, if I give you the same dose of anything from the time you were a baby to the time you are now, because you're bigger, you're gonna be on less medication. And he's able to do that, what they see now, because he got his liver at six months old. His body doesn't attack it as much. Interestingly, our biggest problem now with, is gonna be the impact of the medication. You can't stay on the meds forever. They will burn your kidneys out. Hopefully, by the time that comes to where it's an issue, technology will be here, and we won't even need donors. You're just making organs on the side. But I bring this part of it up because I want to talk to you about the myths. The reason people don't donate. 
And this is the part of it that I want you to come home with, right? Some of you are donors, some of you are not, some of your parents are donors, some are not, okay? You will not have a chance to talk to them about your wishes if you're already dead. Or theirs. And you know we're all going to die at some point, so that conversation's going to be had. So you are either going to have it over a desk like this, or they're going to have it over a table. Step to your parents. What are your choices? What do you want? They're not likely going to be comfy with it. Okay. Let's go back to Justin's transplant. First five years of his life, he was getting pain here. If your kid has pain after all that stuff he's going through, you try to find it. No one could figure out what the deal was. No one. So what do you do? You search anywhere. At that point in time, my life was so chaotic. I graduated college, left the job because I didn't want any connection to anything, and started a landscape company. Not smart. And it was a Friday afternoon, and I'm digging and digging and digging, and the ex calls me and says, I found an appointment, somebody that'll see Justin. Okay, it's in Texas. Now I gotta do a 17 or a two day trip with my sick kid and my ex? Are you serious? Uh, you got a joke, okay. For you to get here in front of me, for me to be here in front of you, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of choices. Whether I'm gonna get up, whether I'm gonna have coffee, whether I'm gonna sign up today. From the time I put the shovel down to the time we get to Texas, think about whether we get off on the highway, whether we don't, whether we change lanes, whether we slow down, how long it takes me to pack, do I leave the job right away, any of it. Trillions and trillions of choices. We get to the appointment Monday morning, and you know the big country bumpkin that tapped me on the shoulder, three, three organs, and my daughters, and we're from Texas? Daryl's sitting in the office. I don't know what the purpose of him was in my life other than to be up here telling you there is no way all of those things happened by accident and Daryl just happened to be sitting in the office. God didn't stub his toe and my grandmother and the cancer and the... If it's not accidental, then it has a purpose. If it has a purpose, then you gotta be grateful for it because life's not here to destroy you. And if it's not here to destroy you, then it's here to make things better. You have an opportunity to impact people's lives. Every person you get to sign up, every conversation you have can save eight lives and impact 250 more. Whether you believe in karma or not, at some point, you're gonna be held accountable for what happens in your life. At some point, you can hide as long as you want. The universe, God, you're paying up. And whenever that time comes, they're gonna look at you, what'd you do with your life? Oh, we gave you these gifts. What'd you do with them? I wanted to be buried with them. So I went, a close friend of mine runs a funeral directing program at Miami-Dade College. You want your organs buried with you? They will put them in a bag, and put them in your chest, and bury you with them. Doesn't seem like a very good use of the gift of life. Sight, breath, a heartbeat. All the things my son's been able to do. All the things that I've done because of my son's organ transplant is not accidental. And whether you want to or not, you're gonna have an impact. Don't have the discussion about organ donation. It will happen without you. Don't wanna be a donor? Look it up. 
Find out why. Go to Google Scholar. I don't want to be a donor. Find real information, not some myths. There's no money in stealing your organ. There's money in the meds. Justin's doing great. He's on 50000 a year in medication. And he's one of the good patients. Without insurance, a whole nother class talk. As you can see, I could do this all day. Are there any questions? I'm for real up here expressing my gratitude. I take it, I, I take this movement pretty serious, as you can see. Um, there's no questions. Wish you a great day. You got a question? Is she ready to clap? Thank you. Have a good day. Hi, everybody. This is Joel. I'm your host of the It's Nagelwish podcast. Today's podcast is a recording of a speech that I did at J.P. Terrabella High School in South Florida. It's about purpose, impact, the concept that there are no accidents, that your life should be purpose and mission driven, and that you need to stay informed. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, like, share, tell your family about it, support me that way. Have a great day and stay grateful.